0: Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. We're glad you're with us today. If you have children that are going down for children's church or uh, down to preschool, uh, they, can, uh, child care, they can go down with uh, Miss Tammy and Mr. Steve. Uh, if your children are staying with us, there's activities on that back table that they are free to grab and take to their seat. Uh, there's a sermon notes designed for them uh, that they can use and play some bingo along with the sermon. Uh, then come see me afterwards and I'll have a piece of candy for them. Uh, So we hope and pray that you had a wonderful Easter weekend last week and that you have just been reminded and renewed in your joy and gratitude for your risen Savior. Uh, But today, as we gather, we are going to uh, jump back into our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we are going to finish out Matthew chapter uh, 6 today, if you'd like to head that direction. Uh, This passage that we're going to look at today is one of, uh, I think, the most relatable, challenging and encouraging passages uh, for my day-to-day life. Um, In this passage, Jesus is going to tell us simply, do not worry about your life. But if you're at all like me, uh, my natural instinct is to just about worry about just about every circumstance in my life. I'm a natural worrier. I'm a naturally anxious person. And so at first, when I read this statement from Jesus, simply do not worry, it almost kind of comes across as, uh, as flippant. But what we are going to see when we read it in context is the, the freedom that is available when we lift our eyes from our circumstances, from our problems, and even from our needs, to the, to the God who is God over it all. And this has been a constant theme in the Sermon on the Mount, if you've been with us. Throughout this six section of Scripture, Jesus has been focusing on our hearts, on our priorities, on our perspective as we follow God. And today we're going to once again uh, see that if and when we prioritize our life around God and his ways, then many of the burdens and worries of the world will dissipate. Um, Anytime we talk about worry, I feel like I need to to give a a real quick caveat. Um, But anytime we talk about worry, anxiety, depression, or anything along those lines, I want you to hear that I and Jesus are not dismissing what you might be feeling or what you might be struggling with today. Um, There are things that are greater than the worries we are talking about. I grew up in a very uh, close with my extended family, and within that extended family, there were multiple family members that suffer uh, from what is diagnosed mental illness. And so exposure to that and and education has helped me understand that if you struggle with depression, anxiety, or anything that goes beyond these common day-to-day worries that we are talking about today, it is important to seek professional help through trained doctors and counselors. Uh, mental illness, depression, and anxiety are very real, and they often need the help of experts, um, and that can be found through biblical counseling, through doctors, and even sometimes through medication, um, and that is something that our family has used and benefited from. So if you're here and you need uh, a feeling more than these common words, you need help connecting with a qualified professionalist area, please come and talk with me, and we can um, help you get connected and even help um, supply some of those needs. Um, Through financially, if uh, necessary. So, as we walk through this sermon, and if you are someone that is suffering with anxiety that goes beyond common worry, I would encourage you to get help. Um, So, that being said, uh, Jesus talks a lot about emotions like worry and how there is a spiritual element to them. And that's what we're going to see here in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, if you'd like to head there. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, I, we just thank you for this uh, passage of scripture, Lord, and this truth that you are um, our God and that you are our Lord and that you are our provider. And so, God, I pray that today as we walk through these, uh, this passage, Lord, that you would just help us to, to lift our eyes and to reorient our lives around you and your truth and who you are. And God, I pray that, uh, that we would leave encouraged and reminded of how you love us and care for us and how faithful you are to us that we would leave trusting you, not only with today, but with our tomorrows as well. So, God, I pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us today, Lord, and you would reveal those areas um, where we are, are struggling to put you first. God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, verse 25, it starts with uh, one of those key words that we should always be on the lookout for. We've talked about it a lot, but in verse 25, it starts with the word, therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to figure out what it is there for. And typically, it is there to draw us back to the verse or the section of Scripture that is right before it. And that's the case here in chapter 6 as well. It's been a few weeks, so so let's go back and read verse 24 and figure out why the word therefore uh, is here in verse 25. In verse 24, Jesus says to us, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. And so this therefore, this point that Jesus is making is, in verse 24 is that the foundation of peace that we can find, it's available in Jesus. Jesus here is making the point that you cannot be devoted to two things at once. And Jesus is saying that if you are fully devoted to God, then you can trust him with your life, with your worries, with your future, with your needs. Anders writes in his commentary on Matthew, Therefore, at the beginning of 625, is important in helping us understand the relationship between a kingdom servant and a king. God demands unreserved devotion. Beginning in 625, he began to say, Now, when you entered into that kind of total devotion to Jesus, then I'm going to take care of you and you need not worry. The person that is totally committed to the king has no need to worry, Anders says. So Jesus is saying that if you make God Lord, if you make him your priority, your purpose, then you can trust that he is going to take care uh, of, of you as a good and loving father and provider. This has been a major theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount. I think we've seen this every week, it feels like. God desires your heart, your devotion to be your Lord, not just some external actions or religious platitudes. He desires your heart. He desires to be the God of all of you, of every aspect of your life. And Jesus is saying that if we trust God in this manner, with all of our hearts, with our eyes focused on Him, then we can trust Him to provide, and we can trust that He will take care of our worries. On the flip side of that coin, if you are struggling to to gauge, have I made God Lord? Have I made Him my heart's desire? Have I made Him my priority? Then your worries are an easy place to look to gauge this. One of the best ways to figure out what we are most devoted to is to think about what are the things that we worry and stress and obsess about the most. The things that we prioritize, the things that we care about most, the things that we value as our source of happiness, those are the things that we worry and obsess about the most. And as we talked about two weeks ago, for many of us in America, it is money that we have made our Lord, our priority and our source of happiness. If we believe that money is the most important component to a happy life, to a fulfilled life, to the life that we want to live, then we are going to worry about getting more of it. We're going to worry about holding on to what we have. We're going to worry about protecting it and spending it. If it's our master, it will also be our greatest worry and priority. And so Jesus is saying to us, fulfillment, happiness, security, contentment is not found in money or anything else, but it is found in God alone. God alone, who is capable to provide, satisfy, and meet our deepest desires. Money, the things of this world are fleeting, but God is not. And so our first point to this to today, today is this, is that God desires to be our Lord. And when He is our Lord, He is a good and providing Lord. He's a good and providing master or king. So Jesus gives us this somewhat trivial feeling example. He asks us this question in verse 25. He says, Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. And he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? In other words, Jesus is asking, is money, food, possessions? Is that really what makes or defines a good life? Now, there are many in our world and our culture that would say, yes, it is money. It is food. It is outward appearance that defines the good life. But Jesus is saying for the Christian, for his followers, it must be our devotion and, and life in God that defines what is good for us. And he gives us this example, the birds and the wildflowers. She says the birds don't spend all their time worrying about saving, yet God provides for them the food they need. He says the wildflowers, they don't worry about dressing themselves, but they are more beautiful than anyone, uh, than anyone, including Solomon, who walks this earth. And the point here isn't that we shouldn't save. The point is not that we should never buy new clothes or nice things for ourselves. But the point is instead that we should not be devoted to money as a primary source of security. We should not be devoted to beauty is our primary source of happiness. We should not be devoted to things, because our Heavenly Father will take care of those things for us when we have made Him our King. And that takes us in, in verse 33, kind of sums this up. He says, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you. So God promises to meet all of our needs. He promises that He is greater than the things of this world. He says, seek God first, and then all of these other things will be given to us. When we are seeking God, our worries dissipate because he is the provider of our needs. He's the provider of those things we desire, and he is trustworthy in our areas of, worthy, uh, of, wor- of worry. Our heart, our tendency, is to make the things of the world our God, because we believe they are our source of happiness. Jesus here is saying, make God first, and he will meet those needs, and we will find our true happiness in him. I think I've used this before, but... Uh, C.S. Lewis has an essay called uh, First and Second Things, and I love this thought because it kind of helps me wrap my mind around what Jesus is talking about here and what he's talking about really in all the Sermon on the Mount. In this, uh, this essay, Lewis makes the argument that when you put first things first, meaning God, when you put God first, then you get to enjoy him, but you also get to enjoy the fruits of the second things. And what Lewis is saying is if God is your deepest desire, then you will get to enjoy the pleasures of, of who God is in that relationship, but you also get to enjoy the pleasures of all these other things because you are not worried about them, because you have trusted them to God. You get to enjoy the pleasures of food, of children, of relationships, of money, and so on, because you have trusted those areas to God. You are not worried about getting more of them yourself. You've trusted God to provide in these second things, and you can give thanks for these things as opposed to worry about how am I going to get more of them or how am I going to hold on to these second things. And so Lewis says God's not trying to rob us of joy and happiness by putting him first, but he is desiring to provide us greater joy, happiness, and pleasure because we can enjoy them without the stress and worry of trying to hold on to them because they've been freely given. Lewis continues, but anytime you reverse those first and second things, you not only lose the first thing, which is a closeness and intimacy with God, but you also lose the pleasure and joy and happiness of those second things as your sole focus becomes just securing more and protecting what you have. Here's a direct quote. He says, put first things first, and we get the second things thrown in. But you put second things first, and we lose, lose both the first and second things. We never get, say, even the sensual pleasure of food at its best when we are being greedy about it. I don't know about you, but I've experienced this example. I mean, it's a trivial example, but there have been times in life where I've been like super hungry and famished. And so I go and I get the food and I eat it so fast that I don't get to enjoy the pleasure of that food. When we obsess about something and we put it first, we become so preoccupied with that which we are devoted that we lose the joy of it. I think about the example we see in our culture a lot. Uh, One of the things I love to do is coach, like, rec kids sports. And you hear all the time about children that are burning out on sports when they are 10, 11, 12 years old. And when you hear their story, often their parents have made that sport their god, their obsession, and they have forced it upon their children. And in the busyness of year-round sports, 20 hours of practice a week, and the pressure of earning that scholarship, the game which is supposed to be a pleasure, the game which is supposed to be a fun thing, has become a burden. A second thing has become a first thing, and the child burns out on that thing they once enjoyed, that thing they once loved. You could fill the example or the blank in with your own example. For you in your life, it might be a thing. You were certain that that new house, that new car, that new truck, that new something would fulfill you and make you happy. And it might have done it for a moment, but it is fleeting at best. You quickly realize this thing that you have been obsessing about, this thing you have been trying to obtain for so long, It still needs to be clean like your old house. It still needs to have the oil changed like your old truck. It still just takes you from point A to B, just in a little more comfort and style. And so Jesus says, devote yourself to God. Let God be the primary source of your security, the primary source of your joy, the primary source of your happiness. And and, and just like he takes excellent care of the birds and the flowers, he will take care of you and you will find joy in those things he gives you. Again, this doesn't mean we don't save responsibly or buy nice things on occasions. But what this means is we put God first, not money. We put God first, not things, and we find our joy in him because we trust in his promise to meet our need and fulfill our life. As we have said, and as Jesus said, for many of us, money is our first thing. But Jesus says, make God your first thing, and he'll add these other things to you. But this goes beyond money. I I love how, I, I love Pastor J.D. Greer's example he said, this, he said, you can apply this principle, of course, to other things besides money. Jesus knew, just knew that money was the big one. Jesus could have said, don't worry about your parenting. I don't know about you, but if you're a parent, this is one of those things I worry about. He says, don't worry about your parenting. And he fills the same example. He says, do the birds or the, f- birds or the field worry about their parenting? No, he says, they just push their kids out of the nest and they say, fly. And their kids turn out all right because God makes sure they will learn what they need to know. But just like with money, that that wouldn't mean we don't need to put time and energy into parenting. Just that we should not be anxious about it. We should be primarily devoted to God and let Him worry about the results. When I'm seeking to obey Him in my parenting, the promise is that He will take responsibility to work in my kids' lives. You could fill in the blank with a thing that you prioritize, obsess, or worry about. Jesus is saying, put God first in that area and He will be our source of joy, happiness, fulfillment, and purpose. And then we can find greater enjoyment as he provides in that area. Does this kind of make sense? I hope so. When it comes to money, when it comes to parenting, marriage, education, career, whatever it is that you worry about. God's not telling us to sit back and say, hey, God's got this and not do anything. But he is saying we need to do what we do in obedience to God. To the best of our ability and we trust him with results. We don't have to stress and worry about them. We don't have to again and again, these are questions I ask, ask questions like, did I handle that conversation exactly right? Did I say everything I was supposed to say? Did I make the right decision? What are other people thinking about me? We can do our best when God is our priority, and we can trust Him with the results. And in that, the pressure is taken off of us when we put God first and trust Him to provide as only He can. When we trust in God's promises to be with us, to to meet our needs, to work things for good and for his kingdom's glory, then it takes the pressure off of us. We know this. The Bible tells us God is great. He is good and he is worthy of our devotion. And he is greater than our abilities and our worries. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Anytime you talk about worry, I think you have to go visit this passage because it's probably the most practical application of this passage or of this thought. Paul writes to us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that God is the source of our peace, and He is the only one that can relieve our worries. And he gives us this practical advice on, on how we give our worries to God. He says we give them to Him through regular prayer about our worries that is bathed in thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is a key element of our prayer because Thanksgiving is trusting that God's not only going to hear our prayers, but he's going to answer, and he's going to come through, and he's going to fulfill his promises in that area where we are worrying. This is key because if you're like me, when I sit down to pray, it's often just me worrying in the presence of God instead of trusting him in the things he's already said he could be trusted in. And so Paul here is saying worry, or prayer is not a 20-minute worry session before you fall asleep. But prayer with thanksgiving is praying about that subject that you are worried about and then thanking and trusting God to provide an answer in that area. The kind of prayer Paul is talking about here means laying your problems at Jesus' feet and then leaving the burden with Him. You thank Him for the answer He has promised to give. Paul says that kind of prayer leads to peace. So two things you can practically do when you pray. Paul says here, let your request be known with thanksgiving which means thank him that he is handling whatever it is you are worried about. We can't give thanks if we are not trusting him to answer. And secondly, he may not always answer the way we want him to, but the passage assures me that he will answer. Because of that, I can rest my worries at his feet. Seek God first in your worries by praying with thanksgiving, resting in who he is and the assurance that he will answer your prayers. So the question we have to ask ourselves is a carryover from two weeks ago. But the question we have to answer is, who is our master? Who is our king? What have we made Lord in our life? Who or what or what thing is our source of satisfaction, happiness, and purpose? Is it Jesus who has conquered the grave and given us salvation and promises eternal life? Or is it something much more temporal and fleeting that will leave us grasping to hold on to more of it? All right, verses 26 through 30. Let's read it real quick again. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And so Jesus is urging us to make God our Lord, our priority, our source of happiness and purpose. And then we get to the reason why here. The reason we should trust our lives to God is because he loves us deeply. He holds our lives in, in his hands. He is a faithful provider and he's a promise keeper. And so our next point is this. We can trust God as Lord because he loves us and he is able to provide in all ways. Jesus first points to this by the name Heavenly Father he uses. In that, Jesus is pointing us to the character of God, to the reality that He is a good and loving Father. God is not indifferent to us, but He loves us and cares for us as a good and loving Father that is willing to sacrifice for the well-being of His children. Right, we see this first and foremost in the Gospel, in the sending of Jesus to die for our sins. The entire Bible, the Gospel, is a testimony of God's deep love for you. John 3.16 is probably the best summation of this. For God so loved the world. And you can put your name in there. For God so loved me that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The Bible tells us that God loves you so much, values you so much, that he sent Jesus to die for your sins so that you would not have to perish but instead could have eternal life. Forgiveness of your sins, a relationship with God, and someone to cast your worries and burdens upon. And what Jesus is saying is that if God would provide for you in that manner, then he is worthy to trust with whatever you are facing today, this week, and this year. God is able. He cares for you. He loves you. And He is worthy of your devotion. That's what we see in this section of Scripture. Jesus is saying, God is worthy of your trust in these things because He has proven Himself that He loves you. He has taken care of the great things, and you can trust Him with the little things. Right? Jesus is making an argument here. He is saying that if God is a God, and then He goes to these animals, He says, if God is a God who cares for the safety of birds and the beauty of flowers, don't you think he's going to care about you? He's pointing us to the character of our heavenly Father. He's saying, "Isn't it obvious from creation that God cares for these things, and you are so much more valuable than them? Won't He care for you?" Jesus is saying, "If He cares for the robin and the meadowlark and these really obnoxious starlings that live some up here and get into our building, right? He cares for the wildflowers. Surely He cares for you." In Romans eight thirty two, Paul makes kind of flips this argument. And he goes from greater to lesser. He says, uh, he writes, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Paul, as we said, God, God says God loves you so much he gave his own son to redeem your life. Because of that, how will he not also give you all that you need? Paul's argument is God has already proven himself to be good and trustworthy. Of course you can trust him with the smaller things in your life. He's saying, surely if God cares enough to send his son to the cross to die in humiliation for our sins, then you can trust him with our worries of bills, of children, of spouses, of food, of clothing, of transportation, of our future. Whenever I think of this argument from from, from greater to lesser, and how God has provided in the big and we can trust him in the little, I think about my children. You guys have many of you have children or have had children. My children will worry and complain about things. And you just throw up your hands as a parent for the same reason. You think to yourself, is not the past eight years of love and support and of feeding you and providing for you, is that not enough for you to trust me in this area? One of the the, the areas where our kids love to uh, question us as parents is, is when we might have the nerve to provide a new food to them. And you provide them a new food, and they're like, oh, I've never had this before. That's not going to taste good. It looks not good. And in that moment, our response is usually something along the lines of, we have fed you three meals a day for years. We have never poisoned you. We have never uh, given you food that doesn't even taste good, something you didn't like. I mean, usually you enjoy what we give you. And so you're whining about this new food. You can trust us. We have proven faithful in the past. Then we start unpacking the ingredients. These are all things you like in this food. Give it a try. You can trust us that this food will taste good and will not harm you because we have a track record of feeding you good food and providing for you. But every time we have to go through this motion, it seems, that's what we do with God when we don't trust him in the little areas of our life. That's what Paul, and, what, what Paul is saying to us. He's saying God has met every need in the past. He has given his son so that we may have life. He has created us and he loves us. And because of that, we can trust him in this area where we are worried. God loves you. He thinks about you. He sent Jesus to die for you. He knows what you are going through and he is trustworthy and he is able. And because of that, we are called to seek him first and trust our worries to him. So God speaks over your worries. I've got this. Seek me and find rest in me. So why do we worry? Why do we worry if we know that, that God loves us and cares for us and he's able? Well, I, mean, I think for me, at the, at the core of why I worry and why I think why we worry is, is our pride and our need for control. Often we can't see a way to fix what the problem is. And we are dwelling on it. And we in our finite minds can't control or understand what is happening. And so we worry instead of trusting God. But Jesus is speaking over you and he is speaking over I. Trust me. I love you. I love the people you love. I know more than you do, and I have a track record of coming through for you. He's saying, don't try and fix it yourself. Instead, be faithful to seek me and trust it to me. Jesus tells in this passage that worry doesn't change anything. He says it's not going to add an hour to our lives. I don't know about you, but the funny thing about worry for me is it usually makes me feel like a, a little better in the moment. It makes me feel like I'm doing something about the problem. Worry in the moment makes me feel like I'm helping to solve the problem by devoting my time and energy to it. My pride tells me if I keep thinking about it, if I keep dwelling on it, that I'm somehow going to make this problem get better or go away. Sometimes I think my worry shows that I care about the problem. But Jesus says, worry is unproductive, and it does no good. First in verse 27, he tells us this twice. He says, first in verse 27, Jesus tells us simply, worry doesn't change anything. He says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? He says, can we add a single hour to our life by worrying? Do we solve our problems through hours of worry? Jesus, the answer is clearly no. In fact, the, the more we learn about worry and the more we learn about stress, we learn that the opposite is true. It's crazy. I saw this this, this morning. I was, I was researching to this. The CDC estimates that 75 to 90% of all doctor visits to a primary physician in the U.S. are related to worry and stress so worry is not only unproductive but it's counterproductive to what we are doing worry lies to us worry is a false prophet in our life that says if you devote time to me if you devote time to me and energy to me then things will change but we know it's a lie jesus says as much jesus speaks of our lives worry won't change things but seek after me and i will take care of all you need we see this in verses 33 through 34 Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, he says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's our final point. When you make God Lord, he promises to provide and care for all of your tomorrows. Jesus says, therefore, because of who God is, because of his past provision in your life, you can trust that he will take care of your tomorrow. So don't live and worry about it today. He speaks over your life. You can trust him with your children. You can trust him with your job. You can trust him with your finances. You can trust him with your health because when you seek him, he will provide and take care of it. Notice here, though, that Jesus doesn't promise that tomorrow will be easy. He doesn't promise that tomorrow will be comfortable without pain. In fact, he says the opposite. He says tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own so the promise is, don't, is not don't worry about tomorrow because it will be easy, but the promise is you don't have to worry about tomorrow because God will be with you in the midst of your troubles and your problems, and he will provide for you. He says seek God, lean on him, and trust him with your tomorrow. I think probably the most tangible example of this reality in the Bible is when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. We spent months on the Exodus journey back in the fall, if you were with us. But for 40 years, the people were in the desert, and each day God would provide for them with this strange substance called manna. And manna was this cracker bread substance that God would provide, and every day they would go out and they would pick it up off the ground, and they would have enough to live on. And one of the things I love about manna is the word translated literally to English simply means whatever it is. And so every morning when God's people would wake up in the desert, all over the ground would be this manna for the day. And every morning, God would meet their needs, and every morning, God was faithful to provide. But they weren't allowed to take more than that one day's worth of manna. If they were to stockpile and like try to get, I, I'm going to gather a week's worth of manna and hold on to it, so I don't have to worry about tomorrow, it would go bad. It would begin to breed worms and bring destruction in their home. The exception was the morning before the Sabbath, where they could get two days' worth, and it wouldn't go bad that night. But what what God was teaching them and what he desires to teach us is don't worry about tomorrow because I will be there and I will provide what you need. He said to them, and he says to us, "I I will provide more whatever it is for whatever it is you need. That takes great faith in God as Lord, that he will not forget about us and that he will provide and he will not fail us and come through with whatever we need that next day. That's what God offers to us in our worries, that he will take care of our tomorrows Again, this doesn't mean we don't work hard, that we don't save wisely, that we don't invest where God has placed us, that we don't parent to the best of our abilities. But what this means in our life is that we do the best we can with what God has given us in prayer, and we trust it to Him, and we trust tomorrow to Him as well. Charles Spurgeon, who's a famous British preacher, and he struggled with crippling anxiety and depression in his life. He wrote on this subject, anxiety and worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but it only empties today of its own strength. Whatever tomorrow holds, God promises to be there with you. And he promises to provide whatever it is you need, so seek him in his kingdom and his righteousness. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of our Savior. Jesus, who loves us so much, he willingly died for our sin, is so powerful that he rose from the dead, victorious over the grave. And because of that, we can know that he is able he is present that he is greater than our tomorrows the God who saved you yesterday and delivered you today surely will provide for you tomorrow and so the answer to a worry-free life is not a trouble-free life it's not an invulnerable future but Jesus says the the answer to worry is a relationship with the God of the universe that knows you is with you and so loved you that he sent Jesus to die the death he deserved God speaks over your life the promise that He will meet your needs, that He loves you, that He will never leave you, and that He will take care of your tomorrows. And so, the question for those of us here that are followers of Jesus is who or what are you seeking first? Is God your first thing, or if you made His second thing your first thing? And one of the ways we know that is by what we worry about most. What is it you worry about most? Is it money? Is it your kids? Is it your future? Is it a spouse? Is it your reputation? Is it your job? Is it a thing? Is it something else? What is it you worry about most? As you think about that, would you today trust it to God? Make Him Lord in that area and trust it with Him tomorrow as well. Instead of worrying about those second things, focus on living your life the best you can for Jesus. Doing the things He's called you to do and trusting Him with those other things. Jesus says to you and me, I love you so much, I gave my life for you. I gave you a future. I took the punishment you deserve. I speak life and forgiveness over you through my sacrifice on the cross. Would you not trust me with your tomorrows? Would you not trust me with that which you worry most? So if you're a follower of Jesus, would you give those burdens and those worries to him in these next few moments? And then maybe you're here and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. You've not yet made him Lord. You've not yet made him his, your first thing. Would you surrender your life and trust in him today? If you're not ready to do that, would you learn more about who he is? Ask your questions to discover who Jesus is and the new life he offers you. Emily's gonna comment, she's gonna play for us. And as she plays, I'm just gonna ask you just for a few moments to reflect on who God is. To reflect on, on, on the fact that he is able in your worries. Or maybe you're here and you've never trusted Jesus. Would, would you just reflect and ask the question, do I want to trust him as Lord? Am I ready to surrender and trust him with my life? So I'm going to pray for us. After I pray, Emily will play and we'll just take a, a couple of moments to reflect on him. and I'll come back and close us. God, we thank you that you are able. God, we thank you that you love us. God, we thank you that you have proven your love to us. God, we thank you for your past provision in our lives. And God, I pray that because of who you are, because of how great you are, Lord, that you would help us to trust you with the worries in our lives. That you would help us to trust you with our tomorrows. God, and that when we sense and feel that worry and that anxiety arising, Lord, that you would help us to be people that, that tangibly and, and th- stop and take time and, and cast those burdens and those worries to you in prayer. God, that we would do so expecting you to handle them. So, God, I pray, Lord, in these next few moments that you would just reveal those areas where we are pursuing second things first. God, that you would give us the courage to turn those over to you, to trust you with them, to trust you with our tomorrows, to trust you with those things that we worry about so much. God, I pray that there's someone here that doesn't know you as your Lord and Savior, God, that you might reveal their need to you, when they might experience your forgiveness, your grace, Just totally dependent on your work on the cross. They would experience your forgiveness today, Lord, and they would experience a relationship with you as Lord and King where they can trust you with today and they can trust you with tomorrow and they can trust you with eternity. So God, there's someone here that doesn't know you, Lord, would you speak to them. Would you give them the courage to, to investigate and discover who you are? God, we thank you that you are able. Lord, we thank you that you are worthy. May we be a people that trust you today and trust you with our tomorrows. God, we love you and praise you. In your name we pray. Lord, as we close, Lord, we thank you uh, just again for who you are and for the deep love you have had for us. God, we thank you how, for how you have proven yourself worthy to us. God, I pray that you would help us to trust you uh, as we leave today. God, we love you, and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, well, thank you so much uh, for being here today. Uh, let me have a couple announcements for you. Again, as I said in the beginning, if... if um, if anxiety and, and worry and depression is something you struggle with, please talk to us. We have some great Christian counselors that we can connect you with, and uh, just we've experienced the benefit uh, of that. So that's you. Uh, come and talk with us. Uh, if you're new to Living Oak Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you don't mind putting that, uh, filling that, grabbing one, filling it out, placing it in the back box on the table, we'd appreciate it. Also, we you place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, we have Small Group Bible Study, which meets here at the church from 6 to 7 uh, tonight. If you have questions about that, come and talk to me. We have Youth Group and Kids Night that meets here at the church on Wednesdays from 6 to 7. Uh, if you've looked at your announcements, there is a note that this is the last week of Kids Night and Youth Group for the year. I know our winter winter has been uh, never-ending, and so it doesn't feel like it is spring, but the calendar tells us it is supposed to be spring. Uh, and as baseball starts, this is always when we... Uh, transition to the end of those uh, two things. But if you have questions about that, uh, come and talk to me and I can, I can fill you in. Uh, also on the, your announcements, there are dates for uh, children's camp and youth camp that are on Casper Mountain. Uh, if you have questions about that, uh, you can see Mr. Justin in the back about youth camp. You can see me about kids camp. Um, there are due dates for deposits on there as well. And then we have the dates for uh, vacation Bible school uh, day camp here at the church. I think that's all in there. Uh, you also might have gotten a card on the way in, but there is a local community uh, food drive uh, next Saturday. Um, if you would like to participate in that, it's from 11 to 2 at Smith's where you can drop off food that helps to uh, provide food to people in need in our community. So uh, if you have questions about that, let me know. We'll, we'll get you more information. Um, I think that's all I have for you. If you've got any questions, you can come and see me. Thank you so much for being here this week. We pray and hope you have a great week. And we hope to see you again next week. You are dismissed.